Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we're continuing our coverage of Star Wars Rebels with myself and Riki and Sarah Hayashi. We're talking about Season 2, Episodes 17 and 18. All that after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. Uh, I want to first start by apologizing. I know that the episodes have been going up in a little bit of a random order and uh, not frequently in the last couple weeks. Uh, I wound up taking my I wound up taking my honeymoon the last last week, and I thought I had gotten like two different episodes set up to auto post. One posted at the wrong time. One just didn't post at all until this last until just a couple days ago. So my apologies for that. But we are now getting back to a regular schedule. Of course, by the time you hear this, it'll be a couple weeks later, and you'll have forgotten about that, and I'll have now brought it back up, so oops. <laughs> but um, I'm just really glad to be back here. Uh, I On my honeymoon, I got to sit on a beach, sit by a pool, read a whole bunch, and I read a whole bunch of Star Wars books, and I'm super excited to be talking Star Wars. And we have here two of the best uh, Rebels episodes, I think. One one that is one of my absolute favorites, and, and both of them have so much significance for the overall plot. So we'll be talking about both of them. Uh, as though we haven't seen anything that comes after it. And then we'll be probably talking about both of them in a spoiler section as well. So if you haven't seen anything beyond that, you can just listen and then check out. If you have and you're like, wait, why are you talking about the larger significance? I promise we'll get to that in a spoiler section. Uh, but first, let me introduce our uh, regular co-hosts for this, uh, Riki and Sarah Hayashi. Riki, so glad to have you back. Yes, I was in Japan where I got to spend six days in a hotel room <laughs> where I read a tweet that was like, would you be able to spend seven days in a log cabin for $200,000 or something? And I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> One day away. <laughs> and for context, at least the ones I've been to, Japanese hotel rooms are a lot smaller than the ones people in the United States might be used to. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if this one applies to you, to the one you were at. It was a bed. <laughs> A door to the bathroom, and then the hallway where that door was attached. Yeah. Okay. So there was enough space where I could do, like, squats and push-ups <laughs> as my exercise. Okay. Well, that's something. Week. That's something. Well, well, we can help you exercise your mind now that you've been exercising your body uh, by jumping in. So overall, kind of what's your thoughts on these episodes we're going to be diving into today? Well, I love that you said that this is one of your favorites, and I can't tell which one you're referring to because they're both fantastic. It's really, yeah. the show started off strong. Like, it, it didn't really have that season one, uh, you gotta kind of get into it. It's always been strong, but from this point forward, it's not much of an exaggeration to say that, you know, you come up to an episode and you're like, this is one of the best episodes I've seen. And then it just yeah. keeps doing that over and over again. <laughs> You know, it's funny because uh, as part of getting ready for the Kenobi show that we're going to be talking about a lot on this podcast as we get there, although I'm not watching any of the, the uh, trailers, so I won't be talking about that, but we're talking about a lot of other Oops. stuff. Oh, uh, I oh. said something I, earlier. <laughs> well, I, I missed it. I will, however, say I know my fans have wanted some of that, so I might at some point just be like, hey, folks, if you two want to record something on the trailers and just send it in to me and I won't edit it and then just post it. Um uh, you know we can do that but um but yeah no but as part of getting ready for that mary has finally agreed to watch some of the the clone wars we're watching just the episodes about that are kind of connected for kenobi or that help set the tone but we're starting in season one and i'm having to do a lot of like i promise it gets so... better i promise it gets better <laughs> and, and and so yeah coming then to rebels where just like you said the bar starts so much higher mm -hmm. it's just such a nice change that uh, the one thing i'll say on that but ricky go ahead you want to ask something well, I had I had tweeted about Rebels and Clone Wars, and someone asked me, like, is there a good way to get into it? Because it's seven seasons. Yeah. And I looked at the curated collections on Disney+. Plus. They have, like, a best of collection. Or, like, essential episodes, I think yes, they call yeah, it. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what it's called. I, and I thought it was a pretty good one because there's only, like, one episode from season two or something See, like that. See, there's one episode nice. from season yeah. one, like, one episode from season two, and then... Yeah. Okay. And so, like, if you've listened to us, you know, you know, we think season three is when it gets good. And I was like, okay, right. this collection agrees, and it it looked good. There's also an essential Ahsoka collection if you are interested mm -hmm. in just learning more about that character in anticipation yeah. of her new show. 
So I think those are good ways to introduce someone, and if they like it, they can, you know, watch more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely true. I'll also say our podcast, and we've been having great conversations about them that help you to, uh, if you don't want to watch them, just catch up that way. <laughs> uh, the other connection I was going to make, though, and, and pulling it back to Rebels, is one of the things we said about Clone Wars a lot that was frustrating is that there's a lot of these sort of, like, little like little islands of great content scattered around mm-hmm. but it all feels incredibly disjointed in part mm-hmm. because it's not in chronological order yeah. and they just it just felt like you know different people at the writer's room got to hold the writing stick for an episode mm-hmm. and just too many characters yeah. to deal with yeah whereas here these episodes are not only great episodes on their own but i'm, I'm not going to spoil anything but they both are like advancing major plot lines that I now know having seen all of it. I'm like, Oh yes, that's where this started. Or that's where like there it is. So, and to me that, that didn't feel, I don't know for sure, but knowing everything I know about the, the, the writers and the process, I'm fairly certain that some of where we get to by the end of the show, they knew they were going there mm. when they wrote these episodes. And, and I just, to me, that that's what good writing of TV really should be. When you're setting something up in T in season two, that's going to be paid off in season three and then later in season four. Yeah. And, and the, even just the callbacks to like previous episodes, like setting things up, it's nice mm-hmm. to see that it, it's like aware of itself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that was kind of lacking from the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So let's start with this first episode. And this is the one, uh, uh, Riki, that I mentioned is kind of my favorite, but I think they're both amazing. Uh, the Honorable Ones, episode 17. The ghost crew receives a tip about Imperial activity around the planet Geonosis and go to investigate, only to find the planet completely devoid of life and evidence of a large weapon having been constructed in orbit. When the crew boards one of the abandoned construction modules, they're ambushed by Agent Callus. Most of the crew is able to escape back to the ship, but Zeb is forced to take an escape pod. Callus pursues Zeb into the pod, which gets damaged during the struggle, and the pair crash and the pair crash land on one of Geonosis's icy moons. Callus's leg is injured in the crash, and he and Zeb are forced to work together to survive by fending off hostile monsters and climbing out of the cave they are trapped in. During this, Callus admits to Zeb that he respects Lasats as warriors, but dislikes them due to his first squad being wiped out by a Lasat. He also agrees that he did not. He also reveals that he did not agree with the Empire's decision to exterminate the Lasats, and that the bow rifle he claimed to have stolen from a dead Lasat honor guard was actually given to him by the guard after defeating him in an honorable duel. Upon reaching the surface, they activate their emergency transponder. The ghost arrives to rescue Zeb shortly after. Callus wishes to take his chances and wait for Imperial rescue rather than be a rebel soldier, and both he and Zeb part ways with a newfound respect for each other. Returning to a Star Destroyer, Kellis is greeted rather coldly, even by Imperial standards, and the episode concludes with him sitting in his quarters deep in thought. What'd you like about it? Well, I mean the plot, which is... (laughs) It is a trope that has been done in not just sci-fi, but in all fiction. I I was kind of like looking through the history of it. There's a lot of like World War II movies about mm-hmm. this of of enemy soldiers you know trapped somewhere or stranded somewhere and they have to work together um it was classically done in sci-fi in the movie enemy mine from the 80s i don't know if either of you would have seen this it, it's kind of gone under the radar other than you know noting it as being in this trope uh, where a human and an alien who, who their um, planets are at war have this situation and then end up basically becoming family yeah um, uh, not a. Was... Okay, go ahead. And then there was also a Star Trek episode, Next Generation, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. called "The Enemy," probably in in reference to Enemy Mine, where Geordi LaForge and Romulan are trapped on a planet together. Yeah. Um, uh, the first one that comes to mind, not a work of great cinematic art, the one I am quite fond of, uh, Kong Skull Island, starts with that because oh, it starts with I didn't an American. <laughs> uh, well, minor spoilers at the beginning, but yeah, it starts with an <laughs> American fine. and. Uh, American and Japanese fighter pilots both crashing there during World War II. Okay. And um, and you're right. Yeah, the whole kind of like enemies being forced into a situation where they need each other's help. Like, I think it happens in war movies a lot, but also it just happens with like, you know, siblings or like a parent and a child. And they're in the middle of a terrible fight and they have to face something together. And that kind of forces them to to see see through each other's eyes in some ways. And you're right. I mean, it's such a trope, but I feel like 
tropes aren't necessarily always bad, especially when they're used to good effect. And here, it, it just works so well, you know, because their histories are so entwined with each other in ways that get revealed yes. in this episode. Mm-hmm. That that was very much Sarah was talking about the setup of this. Yeah. The history of these two characters, even in just a season and a half of, you know, immediately off the bat, like, why do you have a bow rifle? It's like, yeah. well, right. I was there at the massacre of Lasan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And even, like, Callus is just, like, knowledge of Lasat customs, right? Right. Um, oh, oh, yeah. No, it's, it's so good. I, yeah, I, I love how it sort of also shows callous the kind of gentleness of the of the rebels right like even though they're mm-hmm. promising if he was a prisoner of war they treat him with respect i think he he even seems a little like um incredulous or, or disbelieving that the rebels are even going to come back for him he kind of seems like right. the imperials might not come back for him either whereas like zeb is a hundred percent convinced that they're coming yeah, back for yeah. him this is his family and i also really love that this is coming just a few episodes after um we get the 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 episode where zeb figures out that he's one of the chosen ones uh and they mm-hmm. go and find lira san um and and yeah we get a, like a, we're getting a little more lasat history which is which is nice yeah yeah like i think it's very fitting and and by no means coincidental that this episode comes only a couple episodes after yeah that one where they were that sarah you and i got to talk about yeah. uh where they're searching for the 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 history the the new world mm-hmm. the lasats yeah. Legends of Lasat, yeah. And I, and I think <laughs> yeah. that that is also a way to explain why Zeb softens here, mm-hmm. right? Is, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Because he no long he knows that he's no longer the last Lasat, which is kind of what he was thinking, right? Or right. one of the last. But now he sees that his civilization is going to survive, mm-hmm. so he he's kind of let go of that hatred. In a way. Or that like revenge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I also, in ter- in terms from Callus's point, I mean, we've talked about how Callus has at, at times come off like the name is very fitting. You know, he's Callus. He's mm-hmm. evil. He, a soldier, kind of you know made a bit of fun of him and he just kicked him off down a <laughs> murdered him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> murdered him. Sent him down into a, a ravine. One of the things though that I think th- that really this episode shows, and you were just talking about the Sarah. It is how much, and this happens in war all the time, you know, you give your soldiers, not only do you, you, you dehumanize the enemy, you do everything you can to make them hate the enemy, but you don't give them any chance to see anything good in the enemy. You know, you want them to hate them. And uh, like I said, I, I read some uh, Star Wars novels while I was on vacation, a couple of which, particularly Lost Stars by uh, Claudia Gray, but a few others as well, really go into how if you're in the imperial force and this happens all the time it's happening like for example in russia right now you know you're not supposed to be getting any information about the outside world except by the empire you know and and you're punished if you're even caught like listening to any other you know news sites or anything like that and so all you learn is what the empire is telling you about how the rebels are all terrorists and how they're all you know, malcontents and, and some of it's that they're all just trying to keep the separatist wars alive or they're trying to keep slate. Like there's, there's one whole great thing about how uh, the empire is telling people that like the empire is trying to like end slavery in the galaxy and the rebels want to keep slavery going because they're connected to all these things. And it just mm-hmm. like Callus is by no means a hero in any way, but you get a, like the genuine surprise you get from him when he realizes like he's not just going to be murdered or tortured kind of shows you like okay yeah he knowing what he knows about the rebels i understand his perspective a little bit more even if i can't justify it yeah and i i mean there are also plenty of opportunities for callus to have just like outright killed them yeah in in right in that like weird ice moon cave um and part of it was like a sort of like self-service of his leg is broken he wouldn't be able to get out and they can't like the transmission transponder MacGuffin won't work inside the cave, so they obviously have to get it out, uh, outside of the cave. But like, he wouldn't be able to do that without Zeb. But also, right? There's this like, I don't want to. It would be dishonorable to just like shoot you in the back. I know right. of like Lasan battle traditions. I want to fight you on the battlefield and like take you down the proper way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, th- there's definitely an element of that. And I think also just of because there's a couple of great scenes where he's like going to train the rifle on Zeb himself or mm-hmm. on something else. And he's kind of going back and forth. It, but also, I think, especially from Zeb's perspective, who also faces the same conflict. But for both of them, they are warriors through and through. Mm-hmm. And both of them, I think, are very willing to die for the cause they believe in. And I think to some extent, like, there's a part of both of them that feels, especially at the beginning, that sacrificing their own life in order to make sure that this other warrior dies for the other side is perfectly legitimate, mm-hmm. you know? And and so also that extent of, like, willing to help both of them survive, you know? And, and Zeb, especially at the end, like, Zeb could just be like, I'm not giving you a choice. I'm taking you prisoner. Mm-hmm. You know, you're coming with us. And he doesn't. Uh, to me, it just shows such growth for both of them. Yeah, and, like, doesn't even mention to the rest of the ghost crew that, like, P.S. Callus was there with me. He just, like, keeps that to himself. Was like, yes, I was alone on this ice moon. Thanks for coming and getting me. Yeah. Another important moment I felt in this episode was when Callus um, tells Zev, you know, if you surrender to the Empire, you'll get a fair trial. Mm -hmm. Right? Which is, we know is B.S. Zev knows (laughs) it's B.S. But Callus believes that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he he has been indoctrinated by the Empire so much that he, his belief is like, yeah, if I arrest you, you'll get a fair trial and, you know, I'll say a good thing and maybe you won't be executed. And it's like, pff, Zev's yeah, like, right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, in some ways, uh, I think this is, again, a trope. And so one I'm about to mention doesn't invent it, but it's one I will always go to. Uh, Les Miserables is my favorite musical. It's one that has incredible power for me. And my favorite character in it is Javert. Mm. Because I, I'm so drawn in by the character of the person who so believes in law and order and so believes that the criminals must be wrong and bad that they're really challenged by the by by, by when something he's shown that that's not the case, you know? Yeah. And in in Javert's case it drives him to, to to end his life because he just he can't understand how the the character who he has he has seen as this horrible criminal can save his life, can be kind to him. And I think that's exactly what's happening with Callus here. For Callus, the only way that he can justify the horrible things the Empire is doing is if it is for the good, you know, if it is for law and order, if these criminals are terrorists with no regard for human life whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, like, two of them are Jedi, and, right, and, like, the Jedi have to be eliminated, we know this, because, like, they're an evil mystery cult who, like, murder exactly. children and are warping the minds of people. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And the ending of this episode, I think, elevates it to such a, an amazing degree... Because um, the ghost crew comes and rescues Zeb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Callus is watching, you know, from, from his hiding place. So he sees that camaraderie, right, of them, like, hugging, goofing around, like, oh, we're so glad we found you. And then when Callus is rescued, he gets back to his ship. And he's limping around because he broke his leg. And no one's helping him. And he he comes across uh, Admiral Constantine, and they just like exchange like Admiral like Agent mm-hmm. Catalyst and like goodbye, and then he goes to his room and sits by himself quietly. Yeah, there's and a like seed yeah, of doubt. You it's know? so, it's so sad, you know, for yeah. him, and and he sighs and he just like, like what am I doing here? Like he has you you see that doubt mm-hmm. building in him because of those interactions, the difference. In the interactions. Yeah. And, like, Constantine has never been Callus' biggest fan to no. begin with, right? And, like, he's failed right. again. They had to go rescue him. Constantine probably didn't want to go rescue Callus, yeah. but was presumably ordered to because he's one of their best agents. But, but yeah. But not even a, so glad we found like, you. Oh, like, no, uh, nice yeah. you're alive. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you alive. No. It's kind How's of a, your like, you're an inconvenience. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember the first time I watched this episode, my, Paul, who, no, I'm, I'm sorry, because it was the other, uh, let me start that again. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I watched this episode, I was angry because I had hated the character so much. <laughs> like, I, he was a great character, but I'd hated him. And now I felt sympathy for him. And I was like, no, I don't <laughs> want to feel sympathy for this guy. He's supposed to be the mustache twirler, but he's not. That's what the show isn't doing. Yeah. And that's so, I, I want to also. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I, I want to also just touch on at the beginning of the episode, it's so fast 
gone over, but oh. we learned two big things. Um, one, we go to this planet Geonosis, which for anybody who doesn't remember, that's the planet where the final battle on, at the end of Attack of the Clones, the second movie, takes place. It's where um, the Geonosians are all kind of like insect-type creatures. They have wings on the back, and they fly. Um, and they were the ones who fought this epic battle with the clone troops and the Jedi. Um, that planet's just been wiped out, decimated. There's nothing living there anymore. And also that some huge weapon has being constructed in orbit. Some and weapon. Not what a moon. What could it be? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's very clear that it's the Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> um, and well, it's, we, yeah. it's the very beginnings of it, um, which I don't love that they introduced the idea that it's being built this far in advance. Like I didn't like that in the second movie because sort of it to me it kind of takes away from the idea of like well, it took thirty years to build this thing. I mean. Um, it's a big ass spaceship. Presumably, this was like a prototype, but yeah, I get, I get where you're going. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I kind of like the idea that it was only sort of like yeah. when they realized everything else wasn't going to work. But, mm. but anyway, putting all that aside, but yeah, it's just, it's just such little details, but that are going to be that they feel like they're going to be so significant, you know, later on. Because I'm, I'm certainly thinking like, what happened to Geonosis, and and what's the connection here? Yeah. Uh, so yes, I love everything about that, and I think to to the point of why did it take so long. They are starting to build that, I don't even want to call it a retcon per se, but the mythology of the Death Star, right, with um, Urso, Galen Urso from Rogue One was sabotaging it intentionally. I think Mm -hmm. the fact that they have to mine kyber crystals from across the galaxy means like the weapon was not at full capability for a long time because of that. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, like yeah. the superstructure, yeah, whatever. You build a big moon-sized ship, mm-hmm. but I think That's the weapon fair. itself has taken a long time to test and build and get correct. Yeah, and the planet I... isn't like decimated. The planet is still there. It's just they've they've killed everyone. Kind of yeah, right. Which I think is it's not intent. It is by no means coincidental mm-hmm. that that's being talked about in the same episode where we're talking about how the exact same thing happened on Lasat. Yes, in terms yeah. of the killing of all the people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I even, like, Go ahead. oh, I was just going to say, like, at the very beginning, we kind of get Rex talking a little bit about Geonosis, right? Because he was, he was there in Clone yeah. Wars. We saw his interactions in Geonosis with the, like, underground bug people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and was that the in, the in Attack of the Clones, presumably? I haven't seen the prequels in a very long time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's just nice that we're, we're getting Rex's involvement, even in just yeah. these, like, little ways. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so we're going to say a lot more about that episode in the spoiler section, but let's go on to the next one. Um, oh, wait. I have one last thing. Sorry. <laughs> go Just for it. Droid fight. Air horns. <laughs> Chopper and the Imperial droid in the beginning. The Imperial droid that's like trying to shut all the doors. Oh, and yeah. Like, Chopper okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a great, fun droid fight. Yeah. Droid on droid action. Always here for it. <laughs> Uh, Shroud of Darkness, episode 18. Is one of you want to read the summary? Sure. It's like half the length of the other one. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Um, Shroud of Darkness. Ezra and Kanan, after facing off with the Inquisitors again, decide it's not safe for them to be around the Rebels while they're being targeted by the Empire, and decide to get advice from Ahsoka. On her advice, the three set out for a Jedi Temple in the Fall, where each have a separate vision. Ezra of Master Yoda, Kanan of the Temple Guard, who is testing him, and Ahsoka of Anakin slash Vader. As the Inquisitors track the group to the temple and force their way inside, Ezra is told by Yoda to find Malachor. Kanan is warned by the guard, who reveals himself to be the former Grand Inquisitor, to beware of Ezra's temptation to the dark side, dubbing Kanan to the official rank of Jedi Knight, a rank he was never able to achieve due to the execution of Order 66 and the extermination of the Jedi Order. During her vision, Ahsoka faces guilt over not being present during the fall of the Jedi, while also accepting the fact that her former master, Anakin Skywalker, has become the Sith Lord Darth Vader. The three escape as the shades of the Temple Guard hold off the Inquisitors. Vader and the Empire's forces arrive at the Temple as Ahsoka informs Ezra that Malachor is not a person, but a place. Okay, so, Riki, you said that you you weren't sure which of the two episodes I might be mentioning because there's so much goodness in both these episodes. What do you like so much about this episode? I mean, the, the Ahsoka scene with... Her seeing the ghost of Anakin or like manifestation of Anakin mm. saying, where were you when I needed you? Like, I, I cried. 
because yeah, oh, like, yeah, the, me too. The two of them, these two characters, are really like one of the best parts of Clone Wars, and now like continuing into other Star Wars media. Mm-hmm. So uh, that just got to me. Yeah, I take maybe a little umbrage with this um, introduction, saying that she's like accepted the fact that her former master is is Vader, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, she's known for a while, and I think has been denying it for a while, but even, like, now, when Anakin's voice turns into the, like, Vader breathing, she's still like, no, 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 no. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if she's fully, truly accepted it, but I don't know. Yeah. Probably less I, I feel like it's about w- it. You know, if, like, five years later someone asked you her, when did you accept it, she'd, mm-hmm. like, maybe mention this as one of the major That's steps fair. on the journey. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and... Part of it, and and this is also like I was hit by by all the emotions, and it started for me even with this scene, when Ezra first goes to her before they even get to the Jedi Temple, mm-hmm. she's watching one of those holocrons of Anakin like his lessons to her, mm-hmm. and she just like she she talks about how he just had all this kindness and how he just like cared so much about everyone, and it's just like we know that he's Vader, we know that she is worried he's Vader, and just. But it's such a nice reminder of like just how good he was in so many ways, yeah. and and that it's the Jedi not being able to know what to do with the fact that he had this you know all this love and attachment and emotion and yeah, and Palpatine yeah, I mean, it, manipulated it just, his love oh, for yeah. Padme, right? And it, yeah, it just it's it it's why the Clone Wars show is so good, and because it, and and Rebels is continuing, it really helps you understand the tragedy that is Anakin Skywalker, you know, and these people who. Like when I was talking to Mary about the show, I said to me the three most important relationships in the show because they all highlight the 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 tragedy of the fall is Anakin and Obi Wan, Anakin and Padme, and Anakin and Ahsoka, mm-hmm. and how each of them see like a different part of him, but they all feel this loss. And you know, in the movie, we get to see Obi Wan and Padme, but Ahsoka didn't. You know. Sh- and for plot reasons as shown in the Clone Wars, we know why, but, you know, she's not there during the, that that last movie. So, yes, hearing her talk about it is just so, so powerful. Yeah. And I really like, it's a little weird. Like, Ezra asks, like, what happened to him? Do you know what happened to him? Which is, like, a, maybe a strange question, knowing about, like, the Purge in Order 66 and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, like, Ahsoka responds with, like, the last time I saw him. He yeah. was like rushing off to save Palpatine, blurdy, blurdy, blur, which I think is like a nice phrasing around this sort of denial of like, yeah, I think I know what happened to him. Yeah. But it, it, she's not talking about that, right? Yeah. I mean, well, the phrasing is even more careful. You know, he was rushing off to save the chancellor. The chancellor. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you would think that Ezra would say something like the guy who's the emperor now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And to me, I think, again, as I get ready for the Obi-Wan show, I think for Kenobi, you know, for Obi-Wan Kenobi, his decision to lie to Luke or maybe not to lie. That's the whole question. From a certain point his, of view. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To to frame it from a certain point of view. Like to me, what Ahsoka says, I think she doesn't have the complete knowledge that Obi-Wan has. She mm-hmm. hasn't fully accepted it. But what she says, it, it's very much also true from a certain point of view well i think you know? it's like, and i think that's very much i think that that scene is very much supposed to mirror obi-wan and luke definitely and like she she's telling the truth right like she hasn't seen vader yet has she she's only like sensed him in the force right they they had that encounter where they kind of like i think they did come into contact okay. with each other but certainly they were it, it was kind of like a luke and vader at the end of uh uh, the end of Empire Strikes Back mm. where they're on different ships but they're kind of sensing each other. Yeah, yeah, but she hasn't like seen his well, face obviously but I don't think she's even right. like seen his body with getup on and right. anything. Yeah, so like she's answering a different question than the one Ezra asked while making mm-hmm. Ezra think that she's answering the question he's asked. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So er- earlier you mentioned Anakin's relationship and I just want to add Anakin's relationship with Rex mm. was also instrumental because yeah. of how he interacted with the clones under his command. And that was very different from how all of the other Jedi generals interacted with their clones, how they felt about that. Yeah. And again, like led to his fall. And Rex like still speaks so highly of Anakin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
like I, I, I was really into military history when I was in high school and college. And then I, I got into kind of the like philosophy of military and stuff like that. And, um, found a lot of it very troubling for honest reasons, especially as I got older. But I remember one thing that a lot of people would talk about is this idea that like to, you know, that to win wars, you have to be, you have to have a level of detachment mm. from the military, from the, the soldiers you're commanding. Cause if you're like, Oh no, I can't send Johnny into, into combat, then you're never going to use your soldiers and you're, you're always going to lose every war. And that's, if you want to say that's a huge indictment of war, then yes, I agree. <laughs> but but the point is, and, and and that Anakin never had that. Anakin did live and die with his soldiers all the time, and so they loved him and they fought better for him. But then there were some times where, like, he lost a battle because he wasn't willing to kind of order sacrifices the way some of the other generals were. But then, as we've talked about so much when we talk about the Clone Wars, the other generals were losing their humanity. The Jet, the Jedi. I, I want to find a better word because they're not humans. You know, they're sentient entity you know yeah humanoid entity whatever it is uh even humanoid is still making humanoid the i know but they they call it they call them humanoids in canon so like but yes exactly exactly their personhood Uh, what on earth are you talking about oh my gosh (laughs) yeah and and just as part of that again what i think one thing i also really like about the show is that it's subtle it Mm. doesn't have to hit you over the head there's again it's so evocative but that one little moment where they're when Ezra says, why don't you and Kanan, you know, do the meditation to open the Jedi temple? And she says, I, I can't. I'm not a Jedi. Yeah. And then just says, you know, it's okay. I, I chose it. And we know if we've seen the Clone Wars, that's a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> they don't go into it. They don't do a flashback. They just let you kind of know that. Just that one little bit. Yeah. Well, and even, like, as Ahsoka's fleeing the temple, she, like, looks back and sees a little, like, Yoda. And he's oh just like, hey, God, waves at her. <laughs> yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. she like she gives, like, a nod and, like, turns around and goes back. But it's kind of like, sorry, I accused you of murder. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was Oops. a weird, yeah, like, a weird little interaction there. But, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I mean, like, like... Ezra's also not a Jedi, right? Kanan yeah. is technically still like a, a, a Padawan, I guess, even though like after this episode, he's officially a Jedi Knight. But Right. Although again, it's sort of like, who is it? Who is, it's sort of this like AI spirit. It's just kind of a spiritual AI matrix thing that's yeah. like running this thing. I mean, I don't, um, I'm not sure if like this has been discussed and I'm just like showing my, my lack of the broader universe here. But like, is this just the way that, I assumed it was the way that Jedis were knighted was like by these temple guard folks no i i think normally you're knighted by actually council. i just re mm. i just rewatched the first two movies and yeah it's a padawan has to go through the trials okay and and then they kind of announce that they make you a knight but that i think there could be kind of like battlefield promotions from time to time sure. but yeah like at the end of it when when qui-gon wants to take on anakin not at the end but when qui-gon wants to take An- on anakin as his padawan and they say you can't have two padawans he says no it's okay i want I think Obi-Wan's ready for the trials. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so let's I, talk about kind of, Oh, go ahead. Well, I think we're, we're heading into this part of Kanan and the Inquisitor where I don't think that it's an official Jedi custom okay. that happens. Right. But I think that is an important moment for Kanan mm-hmm. because he has had these doubts about whether mm-hmm. he can teach um, Ezra properly. And then to have this former enemy who menaced them so much and had the upper hand on them for so long come to him and a reveal you know who he was in his previous life and then acknowledge that kanan is ready you know however he came to that determination right but i think it's important for kanan for this to happen and to believe it rather than the ritual itself Mm -hmm. mm-hmm It's amazing to me when I remember this episode is only like 24 minutes long because there's so much packed into (laughs) it. And and with Kane especially, one thing that the episode summary leaves out is that the temple guard, one of the first things he said is like, Kanan, you're going to fail. You Mm -hmm. cannot keep Ezra away from the dark side. So therefore, we have to kill Ezra right now. And, and and I think the whole idea is it's it's supposed to be a test for Kane. He's not actually going to do it, but part of it's a test to see would Kane go along with it. Mm-hmm. But then like can Kane defeat him? And it's just and, and then yeah, I think having it then be revealed to be the the Inquisitor, because the point is like the Inquisitor did fall. Mm-hmm. So clearly the potential of Ezra or Kane falling to the dark side is a very real danger. Well, and even in and, this bat, sorry, go ahead. 
I was gonna say, yeah, and and it's one that you know Kanan clearly lived through, and so having him be, yeah, having him have to face that, have to face his fear that it will be his fault if this guy falls, um, you know, very much kind of like the way Obi Wan carries the guilt for Anakin falling. I think rightfully so, but it's another story. Yeah, it just it just it hit me so hard, and I had so much like I was so emotionally moved by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even like in in mid battle. Right, like the the temple guard has two sabers. There's like a whole wall of lightsabers and the very poorly animated wall behind them. Um, and like Kanan grabs one and it's a red saber and he can fights off the temple guard using his blue saber and like the typically Sith red saber, right? And I right. think there's this like subtle commentary on like maybe the force isn't light and dark. Maybe it's just the force and like yeah. the person using it is the light or the dark. Um, but yeah, and I, I loved the line that the Inquisitor says of like, you are now what I was, what I once was a Jedi Knight. It really reminded me of like these super old school Memento Mori, which were like beautiful pictures of skeletons. And it's, um, underneath it was carved like what, what you are now I I once was just as like a, Mm -hmm. you're going to be a skeleton. Remember that (laughs) kind of like Memento. Right. And especially, especially coming from the Grand Inquisitor. Of, like, there's still the potential for you to turn to the dark side. So, like, you are now what I once was, and you could be yeah. a, a big old Grand Inquisitor Sith dude. Yeah. Right. Ah, it was but just that also, so But that also he's saying, but I, knowing how real it is to fall, know, as someone who fell, I am saying that, like, I, I trust you with Ezra. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of that it's not because because at one point Kanan, I think it was just in season one, he didn't want to train Ezra for fear that he could be like creating this weapon for the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think like it's the sort of the, the same way that a memento mori works, which is like live your life now, right? Like yeah. be 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 consciously aware of the fact that you are like choosing to use the light side. And like, okay, right. so also little bit of a tangent do we think this is actually the inquisitor or just like some weird ghost hologram thing or is it like the force ghost of the inquisitor i i think and i'm trying hard not to like draw too much from what i know from like some of the novels and stuff especially when they're on canon (laughs) but given the way we've talked about these things before i think what often happens here like sometimes you can have sort of a holocron or some other like essence of the force where it is a specific personality, you okay. know, like um, Ahsoka has that one that is Anakin mm, okay. um, or something like that. But here, especially because, you know, it is Anakin slash Vader who appears to Ahsoka and it is Yoda who appears to Ezra. And remember, Ezra has never met Yoda has mm-hmm. never had it. I, I get the feeling that this is kind of one of those, like kind of the, you know, it, it is an essence of the force that appears to the person it's talking to in the form that's going to most capture what that person needs to hear. Um, but Riki, what's what's your take on it? Well, I, for, I think Yoda, Yoda is, Yoda is actually Yoda. I mm, think we established okay. in the previous Temple episode that this is somehow connecting them to actual Yoda on Dagobah. Well, talking to them, right? I think we were undecided. Like, we were... Not unanimous in the previous episode. Okay. Um, yeah. But yes, I, I do agree that I think this is Yoda on Dagobah on his little like stumpy yeah. tree stump situation. Yeah. Yeah. He just like gets a call like, oh, someone has come <laughs> be, to the temple hello. on the fall. Yeah. Because yeah. we know that like Yoda's maybe powerful enough to do this. But yeah, like I don't think that's actually Anakin. And I, I'm like question mark on whether that's actually... The, yeah. the right. Grand Inquisitor? I, I don't think it's the Inquisitor's Force Ghost or whatever, mm-hmm. because he fell as a Sith, mm. and I don't think there's any established canon of... Well, maybe there are. Who knows? <laughs> I think it is the Temple interacting with Kanan's like, memories and knowledge of the Inquisitor and sure. creating this vision right. for him. Yeah. I, I mean, it would be really cool if if maybe part of what we're supposed to learn here is that like, and this could work out that Kanan 
Kanan was a Jedi, was a Padawan, while the person who becomes the Grand Inquisitor was himself a Jedi, and so that they did meet in some way. Yeah, like that um, was another thing I was going to ask then, right? Like, was the Inquisitor actually a Jedi, or is Kanan just making this up in his head, or, yeah. I think also, though, I'm often the person who wants the direct answer. Mm. In this, I'm kind of happy that we don't get it. Yes. Like, I like that there's some mystery. I like that it's, it it keeps this idea of this being mysticism, that it's not Dungeons and Dragons with exact rules about how the spirit ghosts work or something like that. Totally. And, like, as soon as you start trying to pin down spirit ghost rules, then you automatically find all these, like, inconsistencies in the already established, like, in the stuff that's been going on since 1977, right? Like, yeah. if you start trying to pin down hard and fast rules, you're going to get caught. Yeah, I, exactly. I also love it, like, open to interpretation. Am I right that I feel like Ahsoka gets one hell of an arc, Oof, yeah. uh, Kanan gets one hell of an arc, Ezra, it seems like he doesn't have that much growth. He mostly just, like, he gets challenged a bit and he learns he needs to go to Malachor. And that's about it. Which, which, again... I, Expecting three fully fledged character arcs in a twenty-two minute episode, I'm not complaining. Mm -hmm. But I think there's not as much to say about Ezra. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think he got most of it the last time they were at the temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I totally agree. Like Ezra doesn't have much growth, but I don't think he needs a lot of it right, right now. Right. Right. Unless you know he contacts Obi Wan and asks for advice on how to ride animals. Yes. Yes. Which, he which he is that, though. I mean, he's riding. He's becoming like a, a little bit. He's becoming a little bit the Steve Irwin of this yeah. universe, which yeah. is kind of fun. You know, they yeah. they leap off the cliff early on in the episode. You, yeah. Well, so uh, I mean, can we talk about the beginning of the episode for a little bit? Because you can say, mm -hmm. I can't believe this is twenty two minutes long. Um, <laughs> but we sort of like we jump right in, right, with Ezra and Kanan facing off against is it second sister and seventh brother fifth brother sixth sixth sister. brother six sister there's two the inquisitors there we go <laughs> but birth order in a family is really important you know so <laughs> yeah right um the yeah and one little like moment that i love um the second sister sixth sister female inquisitor um is voiced by sarah michelle geller correct yeah, and she's married oh, to Freddie awesome. Prince Jr., who's playing Kanan. Okay. That right? makes their interactions a lot more fun. Right? And so, like, they have this this great little exchange where she's like, oh, you're handsome. And he's like, I don't go for crazy girls anymore. She's like, well, that's okay. You're not smart enough for me anyway. And it's like, uh -huh. hee you're married. Um, <laughs> which I really liked. And then, yeah, like, Riki alluded to when Kanan and Ezra are really, like, jiving well in this battle they're holding their own um and ezra's like okay i found us a ride and he's summoned the i've looked it up they're called tbd which are those what? like weird that's, stingray things yeah yeah that's so, gotta be a joke name 100 percent is yeah. um do I, okay yeah in like it was um way back at the third episode of the first season these are the things that like resonate with the frequency of the phantom and like mm -hmm. climb on top of it and try and mate with it. Anyway, um, yeah, they they never named them, so their name was just TBD, the letters, for the longest time. And then I guess the writers just decided that their uh, canon name would be TBD, which is T I B I D E E. <laughs> right? I love that. Isn't I love that little great? things like that. But yeah, 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 I love, I love, and we talked about this, Matthew, and it was like just you and I doing our show mm -hmm. um, last episode about the Purgle, right? And Ezra's animal connection. So, like, Ezra does have right. his little moments in this episode, but yeah, it's definitely not yeah. about him. Yeah. Um. So I think that's, like, there's so much more to say about both these episodes, but I think all of it should go in a spoiler section. So is there anything else you want to bring up before we move into that? Nope. No, I'm good. <laughs> well, I would say then, for those of you who have not seen uh, later in the show and don't want to be spoiled yet, hit pause uh, after I finish this quick thing. But most importantly, please remember, um, go to theethicalpanda.com. It's a place to give feedback, all different ways to tell us what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and other episodes. We're going to try and incorporate more feedback into future episodes. Uh, and, of course, there you'll find all the other podcasts I'm a part of. Um, so please check all that out. And we're going to uh, enter into a spoiler section in three, two, one. So does this count as the meat cute for no. Talos and Zeb? No, no, no. I think the meat cute is like way back when, when it's like, I'm going to kill you. No, I'm going yeah. to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that not only is it like 
kind of hinted at pretty strongly towards the end that there's a like there's a whole like I'm taking you home to meet the family. Yeah. But like the voice actors have been like, yeah, no, they're they're kind of into each other that way. It's yeah. just it gives and, and even with even if you don't have that even if it's just that they become platonic like their relationship the way they evolved is so beautiful yeah and if you told me season one that these two are going to become good good friends <laughs> i'd have never believed it or even that callus would become a spy against the empire and fulcrum uh, what? but this episode sets it all up so yes well. totally it yeah does. and i like i remember watching this episode first run through not knowing what's going to happen and like shipping these two hard after mm-hmm. it and i think like presumably a lot of people right like that friends to enemies trope is there as as we talked about and then it's like enemies to lovers yeah um mm-hmm. yeah and like you're right they never explicitly state that they're a couple but like at the end of well disney yeah they gotta sell it to china somehow um but at the end of the series i I mean in fairness star wars before disney was not a abundance of pro-queer culture oh yeah (laughs) but yeah 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 moving on my disney comment is just that they have become very good at presenting things that fans are willing to and able to easily read as queer but right. canonically, they are not because they don't want to upset certain audiences. Right. And I think right. this is one of the ones that they, again, have done a very good job of creating these characters who a lot of people believe are together. Yeah. Well, I right. mean, at the end of the series, they're like holding hands and Zeb is taking Kane, yeah. uh, him to Lyra yeah. right? So exactly. it's like... Yeah. But then they never say it out loud. They never say it out loud. And they have plausible deniability. I, yes, yeah. I, I think if I remember correctly, to me it really reminds me of the end of um, uh, Avatar The Legend of Korra, which, which yeah. have you all seen? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Where, where it, it, it is very... The writers very intentionally meant for Korra and the other woman to be partners by the end of that show. And they actually like wrote they they wrote and filmed or animated a kiss between the two of them, but the the producers were like or the the company Nickelodeon was like no we can't do that so the episode ends like two seconds before it was meant to end, oh. and, and yep. I've heard things from the writers of of this or, or you know. I've seen TikToks about it, so take this with a huge <laughs> grain of salt. That there was some, like that there were they were going to more explicitly write that these two are now a couple, but that it kind of got Avatar cut. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've read way, some fanfics where they're very explicitly a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you have. Um, um, but yeah, the 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 Legend of Korra stuff. Okay. Little asterisk to this. I had like just had my surgery and was. A little, like, toasted on painkillers while watching most of Legend of Korra. But, like, people had told me, like, oh, yeah, I like that it's kind of, like, queer representation. And, like, there's, like, a lesbian couple. And I was just, like, where? Like, I was expecting it to be explicit. And was really upset when it wasn't. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is maybe just me, like, misinterpreting what people had said to me. And I was, was, like, geared up for, like, a full-on, like, on-the-screen lesbian relationship. And yeah, the fact that it got cut is real upsetting. Yeah. But yeah, I it just I think the other thing is that this is the episode where I really start to believe in Callus as mm-hmm. a as a character who can have a redemption arc. Yes. You know, because mm-hmm. Zeb goes through a lot of change in this, but I think it's mostly Callus, you know, of him as we talked about, him both seeing that everything he knows about the Republic is wrong. But also that everything he thinks about the Empire and the Empire's mission is wrong. Yeah. And just um, both the, the voice acting, but also just the animation of the character just really conveys that so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read a review of this episode that came out at the time it was aired. Right. So like watching this episode in order, in context, and the reviewer was like, I really hope they do something with this where Callus like starts to question the Empire and maybe even joins the rebels. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah. like that shows you how well this has been constructed, mm-hmm. you know, even without this post knowledge of what does happen. Like at the time watching it, it was a very believable beginning of that story arc. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like I, Matthew, I think you mentioned about like Zeb not really having that um sort of like moment of softening to the the Imperials, but I mean, I, I'm sort of remembering way back when when he's like so willing to abandon Ezra on mm-hmm. a spaceship because like 
I don't know, something's going down. Ezra's not actually part of the family. So whatever, I had to leave the kid behind. Oops. Whereas now, like, Callus, an explicit enemy, he is no longer willing to leave behind. So I think, like, Zeb's already gone through that that growth of, like, you don't have to write people off mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. Although, like, ugh, there's a line where and they're talking and, and Zeb says something like, do you, you see, like, not all Asat are the same. Um, yeah. And then Callus asks if that applies to the Empire. And it's like, no, because you chose to be in the Empire. You didn't choose to be a Lasat. But anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's such a... And, and to me, it's funny because this was all written way before. But immediately when I heard that, what I thought of is like, well, don't blue lives matter? Yes. You know? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. no, you choose to be a cop. You don't choose to be Lasat or black. Yeah. But, but, but the other thing is here, as we were talking about, but he doesn't... Like, he... How much does Callus choose this? Mm-hmm. You know, when if if choice is an informed choice and he doesn't know, and that I, I when I think of like villain stories and villain redemptions, that's always one of my big things. And uh, we were talking earlier about the books about uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, for example, and and this is one thing I think we'll talk about with those books when we get to them. Is I will forgive you if you didn't know the evil that you were a part of, but once you are shown the evil, or once you are you would see it if you weren't actively hiding from it. Mm-hmm. Then if you continue to be a part of it, I'm now going to start to really judge you, you know, and, and, and granted, I'll, I'll, I'll take an account. Like, is it cause you, you, you know, you can't leave or whatever. Um, but, but to me, that's why it's so important that Callus does now start to question it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like he's being manipulated by the empire as presumably our most Imperials. Like it was, I don't know. So I, I was in Disneyland this past weekend and was at the spent unsurprisingly a lot of time at the Star Wars area and one of the cast members was like, Oh, stormtroopers. Although I guess not all stormtroopers are bad and I was like, What? What are you talking about? But I mean this was a, a, a in a post Finn timeline setting. Yeah. So I'm like, Okay, I guess. Maybe they just got tricked into it, but yeah. It's I don't know. It's ethically questionable, which is very interesting. And I do think in that regard, I think you're right. I probably was a little bit over the top there that Zeb does have a real, because Zeb, that's the moment where Zeb kind of realizes like not all people in the empire are these mustache twirling, mwahaha, mm-hmm. I'm evil for evil's sake. And I was saying before about how some of the novels I've been reading have been kind of emphasizing that point. And I think here, seeing that like, yeah, Callus is someone who when he is presented with an understanding of the evil that he's a part of will start to question it is just it, it you know it's like that well you're still part of the empire so i don't i'm not gonna feel bad about our heroes blowing you up but yeah it starts to make you think like yeah maybe it's it's that you're not like the fact that you're wearing an imperial uniform doesn't mean you're like the most evil person in the world you know yeah like what, are, if, what are the conditions under which you are wearing that imperial uniform yeah yeah exactly which which i think it's just you know this is something we talk about in the superhero ethics podcast all the time like it's very easy. It's very easy to root for someone when they're fighting people who just have no moral value. The way they're presented, you know, because they're just they're aliens and they're presented as horribly ugly, or they're kind of like what we were saying before about how, like, you know, uh, in in real world things, you know, like um, I think we brought up before how in World War Two, American soldiers were just you know presented with this propaganda about the Japanese they were fighting. They presented them as, as inhuman, barbaric, you know, all these things and. Um, but the Germans were taught about Jews, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I think that's what you're seeing here is that both Zeb and Callus have just thought of the other side as just monsters, not real people. And, and here they're forced to challenge that. Yeah. Ah, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And then so in the other episode, I think the spoilery part you would want to talk about is Ahsoka, right? Yeah. Invader. Oh, yeah. And that's, th- this is coming up like at the end of this season. Where they have yeah. their their confrontation, and I I the reason I love this episode so much in that moment is because they call back to it in their duel. I think Ahsoka says something like "I won't leave you" or something like that because she she's carrying this guilt in her yeah. mind, um, blaming herself for not being there when Anakin needed her. Ugh! But even that, like, it's so heartbreaking because, like. I totally get Ahsoka's 
like ease of blaming herself, the feeling of of guilt that she feels. But like she's not responsible for Anakin. Like Anakin is responsible for Anakin turning to the dark side. And we can also talk oh, about yeah. like, Obi Wan's involvement, Palpatine, obviously. But like ultimately, it's not like it's his. It's that's a that's an Anakin issue, not an Ahsoka mm-hmm. issue. But like this this putting blame on herself for getting out of a really terrible situation. I mean, like the Jedi Order we're shitty to her, right? Like, she needed to leave. She needed to get out. She made that choice for herself and now feels like like it was selfish or like she was abandoning her friends when, like, she was just doing what yeah. she had to do to yeah. save herself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, so if you think magic Twitter is toxic, let me introduce <laughs> you to Star Wars Twitter. Oh, no. Where people it, have it arguments about who is responsible for the fall of Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker. And even blaming Padme somehow, right? Okay. Um, you know, if you're, yes, Anakin is ultimately responsible for his decisions. If you are going mm-hmm. to blame any external party, I think absolutely Palpatine. <laughs> yeah. Because he just like plays him like a fiddle. Right. Yeah. But I think the guilt that Ahsoka carries is that she feels that if she had been there with her friend, that she could have helped him through the trouble yeah. that he had. Oh, yeah. totally. And, and that, like, if you've ever had friends go through something and for whatever reason you couldn't help them, like that, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And there's another dynamic I want to add. Granted, this is my own personal situation, so I might be projecting a bit, but I, I think it's a trope that you see all the time. It's not just that they're friends. He had a, you know, he was her master, her trainer. Her, it, It's not exactly a parental relationship, but in many ways it is. She was a kid when they started, and he was an adult. And, um, like, I, I, I'm the child of, of an alcoholic, and and we talked about this in, in Al-Anon all the time. I know many others feel this way, that often there's a sense of, like, even when you're a kid – like that it's your responsibility to take care of your parent. And so if you take care of yourself and then more bad things happen to your parent, like, is it your fault? You know? Yeah. And that that's such a part of the kind of toxic relationship trap that can fall into. And that that's exactly what I see with Ahsoka with all of her guilt here. You know, I mean, she's a kid mm-hmm. when, when, when Anakin was going through all this, like how could it be her responsibility? Especially when the Jedi do, she says that she walks away. And I think that's true. But it, it, the Jedi throw her out, and then she chooses not to go back when they invite her back in. You yeah. know, and it yeah, was her just, choice. But yeah, yeah. Who, why wouldn't you choose to leave at that point? Yeah, like, eh. right. Totally. No, I there's really, a certain uh, yeah, point I, of view in how she's telling it. Sorry, go ahead. Sir. No, I was gonna say like I, I hadn't. I think I was looking at it obviously my own biases from like an abusive relationship standpoint. Um, yeah, which I think is- but no, I think that like child parent like relationship, it's really important to mention because yeah, like this was 15 years ago. Ahsoka was in her mid to late teens when she left, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, like lifespans, blah, blah, blah. Um, we don't know. Yeah. It's species, etc. cetera. But um, right. yeah, yeah. Like she's, yeah. This, I agree I, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it just highlights... If I were to sum it up, you can feel guilt without taking blame. Yeah. Yeah. Or like you can feel bad without taking yeah. blame. And like the the guilt is usually something you can't control, right? Like it's right. obvious she feels guilty, even though she probably like knows all these things very logically. Like she was a kid. Yeah. She had to leave. Anakin is responsible for Anakin's decisions. Like you can be as logical as you want, but guilt, like your guilt doesn't really care about yeah. that. Right. And, yeah. and it's, and it's one of, in the history of star Wars, I think it's one of the beautiful moments that if we ever get to a, what if star Wars, it's like, <laughs> what if Ahsoka didn't leave the Jedi order? Mm-hmm. Right. And get that story and see how, you know, revenge of the Sith plays out with Ahsoka standing by Anakin. Yeah. And all of right. that. Like that, that's the kind of fun, you know, fanfic or whatever you want to say. Yeah. No, I, I think that could be so good. Especially cuz we did see a little bit like in the Clone Wars TV show, there's a couple moments where he starts to go towards the dark side. Oh, yeah. does, and and Ahsoka is often the one who's kind of helping talk talk him down off the ledge a little bit. Um But I think like oh, like, like like he's like the, in the Clone Wars, right? Like Ahsoka's there. And Anakin's still going towards the dark side, right? Like, and there's yeah. there's still that like 
the Imperial March playing, no, not Imperial March, like the mm-hmm. Vader theme playing behind him at, at key moments, yeah. right? So, like, yeah. I think if Anakin, if Ahsoka would have been there, Anakin would have still fell, but it would have been, like, I'm interested to see that's yeah. how that story plays out. Because Palpatine's have... just got his hooks in him so deep. He really does. The other thing that I think that it illustrates that is so powerful, and this is something that definitely comes up in abusive relationships, but frankly is just kind of one of those basic forms of cognitive like dissonance, like ways our brains are dumb, is like human brains are very, very bad at at uncertainty, at not knowing things. Mm-hmm. And especially when like, you know, someone who you think of as being very good suddenly does something really bad that's hard to deal with. And in a weird way, like, and there's been so many, I've experienced this, but there's so many studies that demonstrate this. It is easier if you're faced with something that doesn't seem to make sense and also seems tragic and like, how could this happen? It's easier for your brain to blame yourself because now at least you have a cause. Now it's, it is my fault. That's why it happened is almost easier for the brain to deal with than I couldn't, I didn't have any control of the situation. I couldn't have changed it. I think that's also part of what Ahsoka's dealing with is recognizing like, yeah, that she had no power in the situation. She couldn't have stopped it. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I think like that ties also back into the like momentum war, I fear of death thing, right? It's just like mm-hmm. this loss of control and it's terrifying. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, kids show. This I know. Is show. <laughs> this is, this is rated like Y7. It's meant for a younger audience than Clone Wars, I think. Yeah. Wild. It, it, to me, I think Rebels and Batman the Animated Series are kind of like the, and Avatar, I'd say, are kind of the gold standard of, they're meant, they're they're kid-friendly, but they're just, I, I mean, they're, they're some of those psychologically relatable characters that I think you'll ever see, and, yeah. and psychologically real. Yeah. And, like, we've got a friend of ours um, who's got a six-year-old daughter, like, she's watching rebels yeah and it's just like i like chopper and sabine's cool right like she doesn't necessarily need to get into like the ethical quandary of guilt right right um but it's it's yeah you're right like it's enjoyable by everyone and like as adults we're still getting a ton out of it is there anything about kanan's story to talk about how that that has some spoiler content to it I don't think I think it's a it, it's a nice kind of like I mean especially we know that you know eventually Kanan does sacrifice himself quite literally to protect Ezra and to protect everyone else. Um, I don't think there's too much depth there to talk about, but it is just kind of all the more powerful knowing where his story is going to end up. Yeah, and we I think we like doesn't Twilight of the Apprentice is when he gets blinded, right? I believe so. Yeah. 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 So like he's about, he's he's about to make kind of a sacrifice. Although, mm-hmm. like, we see later on, like, he, he's not too impeded by his disability, which I think is all, like, something else we'll have a lot to talk about. But Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think I also, and I know this is something I've hyped on before, Kanan's not the traditional Jedi. You mm-hmm. know, he has strong emotions. He's not trying to repress them. He clearly is deeply in love with Hera and, and very attached to her. And so for him to be acknowledged as a Jedi felt powerful to me because it did feel like a, you do break all the rules and that's okay. Yeah. Because maybe those rules were wrong. Yes, exactly. It feels like a, like a bright new dawn for the, the Jedi order. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it, like we, we talked about during the episode, like it was important to Kanan to be knighted in that moment. Right. Definitely. Okay. Well, I was just, Thinking about like Kanan and the the foreshadowing element of this, mm-hmm. doesn't he put on a mask when he's blinded? He's got like a Jordy LaForge thing going on. Okay, it's in the um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because it's it's the promo image for Rebels. So like, mm-hmm. you see it, yeah. So are you are you thinking of the mask like the jet like the um Temple Guard mask? Yeah. Similarity? Okay. I think at some point he does wear one of those masks. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So the whole thing he has... about the Inquisitor saying, like, you are what I've become, or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He he wears, like, a cloth over his eyes for a while, and then he wears kind of like, yeah, like a helmet that's over, like, it almost looks kind of like a Magneto helmet. It's like, it covers the top half, but good, yeah. his epic beard still, still shines through. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, I think that's about a wrap-up point. Is there any other last things you all want to say, spoiler-wise, about either of these episodes? I think we've said it all. Zeb and Kanan for life. Um, not Zeb and Kanan. Yeah. No, Zeb and Callus for life. My goodness. Mm-hmm. That's a different fic entirely. Um, <laughs> so this being our second watch-through mm-hmm. and, and knowing what Callus becomes, I want to watch for what happens to the rock that he brings with him. You know, the heat rock. That Zeb gave him. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And he puts it on like on his, the shelf. His nightstand. Been, yes, yeah. So I want to see what happens with that and whether they use that as some kind of indicator or like reminder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a memento that he carries. Yeah. And what's the meaning of that? Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I think it's been. Uh, I was really looking forward to these episodes, and it it's funny because I. We were talking before about Twilight of the Apprentice. Paul, literally, as we're recording this, uh, asked me, like, are you up to Twilight of the Apprentice yet? Because <laughs> I told him about how good this episode was. We have two more episodes to get to that are that are fun episodes, but they're kind of filler. And I think we're going to be a little frustrated because we're all just chomping at a bit. Like, let's get to Twilight. But we'll be getting to Twilight soon. It's so powerful. Oh, no. Um, it's and fine, can... though. We we watched the next one, the, the mm-hmm. droid one, and it's, it's fantastic. Like, yeah. It's a fun episode. The filler episodes for Rebels are great, but they're still filler episodes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're still really fun. You know, they're they're yeah. they're they're there are sometimes they have some really insightful stuff. We don't have any of the filler in Clone Wars that were just kind of painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and I, like I said, it's a droid episode. You know, we hated the droid arc in Clone Wars, oh, God, but yeah. this is a this is gonna be a good droid episode, y'all. Yeah. There's actually, I mean, Chopper gets actual character growth. Oh my gosh, in some I good love ways. Chopper so, so much. Yeah, yeah. So like, we are gonna have another episode before Twilight. It's gonna be about filler episodes. But it's still going to be great. Yep. And then we'll get to Twilight and just so much more good stuff to come. So, all right. Thank you both so much. Thank you to all our fans. Tune in. Uh, check out all the other great things happening at theethicalpanda.com. And most importantly, have a great day. Yeah, that's what we were missing last week. Yeah, it was, it was sad. <laughs>